This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment's all about good debt versus bad debt. And you might be a little bit surprised that there's actually something called good debt these days. But what makes it good or bad? Well, it kind of depends. And that's why Blair Manton, who's a BC licensed insolvency trustee, is going to explain to us how you might categorize and prioritize your debts and where you can get help in managing your debt repayment. So Blair, what would you say is the key factor on whether a debt be, could be considered good or bad? Well, thank you, Elaine. And it really is a case where, you know, debt, I've often heard it said that debt is like fire. It's a useful servant, but it's a lethal master. And it's the challenges so often we see clients where debt has become the master and is dictating their lives. But it's not in every situation does debt become a problem. And it's not that every type of debt is bad and needs to be avoided at all costs, because the reality is that without using credit, some things just aren't going to be attainable for most of us. Um, You know, usually if a debt is taken on with the expectation of a significant future benefit. It's a way of investing for the long run. That's a typical hallmark of what you might consider to be good debt. And some examples of those, I think none of these will be a surprise, uh, you know, buying a home. So typically very few people, especially with the run up in real estate prices, are able to pay cash for a home. Um, But they go into debt, they get a mortgage with the hope that you're going to eventually build equity over time. And you're also putting a roof over your head. So instead of paying rent, you're paying down a mortgage. So in many cases, um, you know, a mortgage is considered good debt. Um, Paying for education costs is another example, potentially a very good debt, because the idea is you're investing in yourself, you're going to increase your future earning capacity. So the whole idea is that this isn't money that's, you know, spent with no future benefit. The idea is this is money you're investing, you're putting away investing in yourself, uh, and that it's going to pay dividends in the future. You know, a final example here is the idea of starting your own business. Uh, A lot of the times to get a a business off the ground, you have to go into debt. Um, If the business ends up being very successful in the future, you know, that's a good example of a type of good debt. Now, on the other side, in terms of what's considered bad debt, you know, it's basically the opposite of what I've been talking about in terms of a long-term benefit and investment. You know, the type of bad debt that tends to tends to really hurt people is the things that you've just used for fast consumption um, to make ends meet. You know, oftentimes there's just a short-term benefit or the thing that you're going into debt to purchase is not an asset that's going to appreciate over time. It's going to do the opposite. It's going to decline in value over time. Uh, the biggest example of that is vehicle financing. So it's not the case that every vehicle loan is bad, but there can be a lot of hallmarks of very poor, poorly structured vehicle loans. And one thing to take off off the top right away is that essentially no vehicle is going to go up in value after you purchase it. You know, sure, there are some classic cars, but probably not what we're talking about here. But if you purchase a new vehicle, you know, as soon as you drive it off the lot, there's, you know, pick, pick a number, 15, 20% depreciation right there. So it's often the case that you end up owing far more 
than what that vehicle is worth for about the term of the loan. And then what can really be tough too um, is it's almost been this, you know, the slow motion move towards in the last 20 years of longer and longer vehicle financing terms. So, you know, it, back when I was, you know, 16 years old, which was quite some time ago, it was three or four years typical of car payments. That was it. Now it's six, seven, eight, even longer than that. And yes, vehicles are lasting, but the vehicle at the end of eight years will be very depreciated in value. You probably still have a car payment. That can be a sort of bad debt that can really put you behind. And, and the last thing is just, you know, the idea of consumables that are bought on credit. So if you're having to put your household goods, your regular purchases, things like groceries on a credit card, you know, obviously it's good that you're making your ends meet and meeting your necessities. But the bad thing is the cost of that is just going to continue to escalate as you get hit with interest costs every month. So the other thing I was thinking about is not everybody, though we may want something or need something, but not always can we afford to do it. So that, so I'm thinking that there's another piece that we need to really look at or that a person needs to look at too. Well, exactly so, Elaine, because, you know, we started off by saying, hey, there's a couple examples of good debt. You know, I gave a mortgage and a student loan, but, you know, very quickly, those can become bad debt if they're not managed appropriately. You know, a mortgage can be a huge problem if you borrow too much or you haven't, you know, stress tested your finances to deal with the increasing interest rates which have become a reality right now. So the mortgage, rather than being a source of salvation and you're building equity, you could be in a situation where the interest rates are higher now, the mortgage is too high, and you might have to sell that house at a loss. So that's a definition of bad debt if you have to sell a house at a loss and be on the hook uh, for what the mortgage holder won't get paid back. Um, you know, even student loans as well, um, you know, that can be bad debt as well if you're, you know, you're going to school, you're spending costs, but if you don't complete the program or if you you haven't really looked into the nuts and bolts, all the details about your earning potential and how long it's going to take you to pay down that debt before you incur it. You know, student loan debt can be a very bad debt as well if you're getting no benefit from the education, but you have tens of thousands of dollars of debt that is going to be required to be paid back. So before we continue on talking about, I don't know, uh, considerations, things you should pay attention to uh, before using credit, I want to remind everyone that if you know already that you're in a situation where you need some assistance, the number to get a hold of Blair and Sands and Associates in general, a wonderful company that's all over the province, here's the phone number. It's 1-800-661-3030. So what are the considerations or tips that you'd recommend for folks, Blair, when it comes to using credit? Well, you want to assess the pros and the cons of each transaction when you decide whether to use credit or not. And again, there's some advantages to using credit. So you know, the number one advantage to using credit is you don't need to wait to save up the cash needed for your major goals. And as we talked about, you know, buying a home or financing a post-secondary education, that's typically something that you're not going to have the money saved up ahead of time. So in those situations, there might be a lot of pros to, to going into debt because you're actually going to be able to get that asset or get that education. Uh, in some cases, when you're using credit, there can be perks or rewards on your day-to-day -day purchases. If you were going to buy something anyway, and if you put it on the credit card, you get some points for it. Well, you know, that could be an advantage. But obviously, when we talk about this a lot on the show, you've got to not be swayed um, by the inflated value sometimes of those rewards programs. If you have to carry a balance even a single month, you've already eclipsed any of that value of the reward spend there. So do be a bit careful. Uh, and then finally, using credit, um, you know, it's something that's going to help you build a positive credit history. So in the future, if you do need to borrow, if you need to get that mortgage or get a credit card, you can qualify at better rates or even best rates if you've got a really good uh, history of using credit response. Responsibly and, and paying it back. Uh, 
Now, of course, on the other side, on the downside, the cons to using credit, well, first off, it costs you money. Um, so every time that you borrow money, you have to pay back a higher amount than you've borrowed or else it wouldn't be worth the lender's time. And those are typically your interest charges. So when you think about credit card interest, that increases the true cost of purchases if you don't pay something off in full right away. We did an analysis a few years ago of, you know, Christmas presents bought on credit and you might think you're getting a wonderful deal, you know, shopping the Black Friday sale. But if you have to carry that balance for three, four, six months on your credit card, uh, you're not getting any sort of a deal at all. So you really do have to make sure you've, you've asset, assessed the full cost of a purchase that you're going to make. And then the idea of being stuck in debt repayments. So quite often when people are in debt, the benefit of what they've went into debt for, especially if it's the bad debt that we've talked about, the consumption or just making ends meet each month, you know, that benefit is gone. But every month it's taking money away from yourself now and in the future it will continue to do so. So you're paying current dollars to deal with past spending, which might not be giving you any, any current benefit at this time. So you definitely want to take a minute to make sure you've evaluated the risks and the benefits before you incur credit. And there are certain habits that you might want to put in place that can help you just to make sure that if you do incur credit, it's going to be manageable and not get out of control. Um, a couple quick things, um, you know, one is to keep your borrowing limits low. So just because the bank says, you know, you're approved for 10 or 20 or $30,000, whatever it might be, doesn't mean you have to accept that. And sometimes having that temptation of a whole lot of available credit credit, um, that can cause people to make decisions they might not already make, and sometimes even get a false sense of security and saying, well, if the bank thinks that I'm good for it, I must be good for it. They must know something, you know, they're watching behind the scenes. They're not watching behind the scenes. So you've got to be your own arbiter of your financial health. Um, so definitely keeping limits low can be good. And then be careful what, what transactions you do use credit for, because not all transactions have an interest-free grace period. So if you're using cash advances or making lottery ticket purchases, you're immediately incurring, incurring interest charges from the day that you make that transaction. So you definitely would want to think twice about that. And then finally, it's always the best practice to just pay as much as you can if you do have a credit balance. Uh, definitely more than the minimum because the minimum payment is going to keep you trapped in debt for a very, very long time, even on a relatively small balance. Now, I, I know that you've got a really good list for folks to pay attention to of things to watch for or signs w to show you if you're not already conscious and aware of it, that you are headed towards a bigger problem or a bigger trouble than you currently have. Can we spend the last bit of this segment talking about those? Because it may come, some of them may come as a surprise to someone. Yeah, I think that that's very good for our listeners to hear that because in some cases you might hear all of these say, oh, maybe one of them, you know, it ticks the box a little bit, but it, okay, I'm going to think about it, but I'm okay. Uh, someone might hear it and say, hey, I'm ticking four or five of these off. I didn't realize it, uh, but you know, maybe it is time for me to have a conversation. Uh, so a couple things are so right off the top. If you're avoiding the fact, the problem, avoiding the facts, avoiding your account balances, not opening your bill statements, um, not dealing with your creditors if they call you, that's a big warning sign and probably you know that you wouldn't be avoiding if it was really good good news um, the second one is really just it's different for everybody but i don't know anybody who is unaffected by finding themselves unable to pay their debt so many people feel overwhelmed they feel anxious stressed worried about the debts or what creditors might be able to do if they're not able to pay so there's a really simple adage and i think it's very true if you feel like you have a debt problem odds are that you probably do and it's time for you to have that conversation if you're starting to feel that anxiety and that worry. Um, sometimes there's some just hallmarks of what we would call a high risk 
debt situation. And these are things like you're using payday loans or other, they're called fast cash or even installment loans. These are often the lender of last resort. It's where you can't go, where you go if you can't get approved anywhere else. And where they make up for their risk is they charge huge fees. So payday loans can be up to almost 500% of annual interest, uh, even installment loans, consolidation loans. I've seen them in the high 40% per year, uh, which to me, it's just a ticking time bomb at that point. If you consolidate your debt, you can't afford to pay an extra 40% a year on that. Um, so you really need to make sure if you're any of those high risk categories, you are reaching out for help. Uh, and then finally, just looking at your budget and seeing even if you are making all your debt payments and the credit score is okay because you're keeping up on minimums, is that sustainable with your budget? Is that too much of your income that's going to pay off debt and it's really compromising what you and your family can do in the present? Really important points. And and this is the part where I just want to talk about Sands and Associates for a moment. Um, the things that I know that are true about the company, just because we've talked to so many folks who work uh, w within the, the company uh, over the years of doing the show, that these people are not only incredibly intelligent and uh, experienced in handling and dealing and working with folks that have uh, a debt problem, uh, but there's a whole... Um, list of, of things that they'll work with you on, as well as to ensure that you don't get in this tr uh, position again, which is why I want to tell you, Sands & Associates, you can go to their website and check them out, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call. They have offices all over British Columbia now. It's 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. This segment's all about understanding your credit report the why, when, and how to check it. And I tell you, Blair, when we first started working together and you talked about a credit report, my eyes kind of glazed over, <laughs> not in front of you, but in the back of my head, it's like, oh, yikes, what's a credit ro report all about? And so, And I know I'm not alone in this. Um, and there's some basics that we should all know about consumer credit reports and our, and our scores. Uh, that's why you're going to explain the ins and outs of these reports and scores. So, Blair... Will you start by explaining what a person's credit score is and how it's calculated here in this country? Because I'm assuming that it's different in the United States, for example. Yeah, it's different in this country, Elaine. It's also different from every lender and every credit bureau. So the idea that there's just one credit score and that's the gospel truth, well, that just doesn't exist. So I'm really happy to have the chance to talk about the topic today. And I do recall, um, Elaine, I think our first conversation about credit raise, I think I used the word algorithm way too many times. So I'm going to try to refrain from doing that. <laughs> that just means a means of how they add up their numbers. But anyway, we'll try to keep, keep it as, as accessible as possible. So what is your credit <laughs> score? Well, your credit score, it's a numerical rating. It ranges from a low of around 300 points uh, to a high of 900 points, obviously 900 being on the best side there. And credit scores are calculated based on information in your credit report. And they essentially assign a grade to you on how well you use your credit with the objective of helping your lenders decide whether they're going to extend your credit, how risky it's going to be for them to extend your credit, and under what terms, such as the interest rate or the overall cost uh, by which the credit might be offered offered to you. So what helps your credit score is you gain points with actions that demonstrate responsible credit use. The most responsible thing you can do with your credit is to make your full payments on time each month. And you can lose points by actions that indicate unstable or risky credit use, like making your payments late or having an account go to collections. Uh, because your credit history is always being updated, your credit score is going to change over time. And you know, in some cases, it can take anywhere from 30 to 90 days for something 
let's say happened today, like a missed payment to actually be reflected on your credit score. So it's not, you know, a complete one to one immediate relation. Now, what your credit report is, so there's a credit score, which is your numerical score, and it's based on your credit report. A credit report is essentially a recap of all of your credit history, and it has personal and financial information about you. Your credit report is held by one of two, or actually both these days, credit bureaus in Canada, which are Equifax and TransUnion. It's created when you borrow money for the first time, and then lenders continually send information about your accounts to at least one of the two bureaus. Um, as I mentioned, Equifax and TransUnion. And what a lot of people don't know is they think there's some government body that oversees, you know, credit reporting and makes sure everything is done with integrity and data protection. These are two private companies. They're not government bodies. And there have been data breaches in recent years in some of the biggest credit, uh, credit reporting agencies around the world, including in Canada. So definitely, if you have the sense that there's someone, you know, in the government that's overseeing this whole thing, no, it's, it's a private company system. It's made to serve the banks. Uh, What's also interesting um, is that your credit score can be completely different depending on which credit bureau you're checking and then also which lender you're working with because each credit bureau is going to have their own means of putting all the numbers together to getting you your own credit score. And then what also happens is each lender is going to have their own means as well. So if you're thinking you're going to chase a certain numerical credit score, you know, monitor it online every month, um, that's an errand that's not going to yield you any joy because you have no idea how the individual bureaus and especially how the lender that you're going to apply to is actually going to calculate that score. So my advice is don't chase a numerical number, but focus on the really good behaviors that are going to just help that number increase from wherever it is. Now, I just want to throw the, the point in here, Blair, that if if your eyes are glazing over and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I've been in this situation and that situation, and now I'm not sure, and I think it's really bad, and what can I do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're still open, uh, completely open for folks to give Sands and Associates a call to help figure that out because there may be some other things going on there too, which could be a benefit for you to figure out. So I just want to mention the phone number at this point, 1-800-661-3030 uh, to talk to somebody at Sands and Associates. And the website is also terrific. It's a great, a great site filled with good information, sands-trustee.com. So can we talk about, mm, I don't know, how often we should look at the report? I mean, is it something that we should obsess about or, or not obsess about? Well, you know, definitely not something to obsess about and just understanding the background here that this is not a metric that's directed to the consumer. Um, you know, essentially you are the product. You're not the person this is made for. This is made for the banks. It's made for the banks to assess customer profitability and risk. So the idea of chasing some metric that's really not for you and doesn't always mean that you're doing that well financially. Um, you know, I have a lot of folks where we have that discussion and we sit down and we say, you know, you've got great credit right now, but no one's willing to loan you any money. Well, because you've got a bunch of other debt. So that great credit rating, you know, if you've been chasing that forever, it's not providing you the benefits that you thought. But in terms of how often you should actually check your credit report, you know, my recommendation would be at least once a year, um, probably every six months, I, I tend to recommend a little bit more highly, especially if you're thinking about making a major purchase over the next number of years. Because if you do find errors on your credit report, it's not an instant thing to get them corrected. They will get corrected over time, but it can take a little bit of time. And the time to do that is not when you're sitting with the mortgage broker ready to sign off on new financing. So you definitely want to stay ahead of the curve and make sure you know exactly what's on your credit report. And when you do pull your credit report, you know, here's some of the information that you're going to see there. Uh, it's going to summarize 
all the information about your credit accounts, how you use them, all your payment history. Uh, it might include things like any credit checks that you've done in the last three years. So if you go and apply for credit for the next three years, someone that pulls a credit report will see those applications. Uh, they're going to show when you open the account, how much you owe, and if you've exceeded your credit limit, do you make your payments on time? Have you missed payments? Have you had NSF payments or have they gone to collections? Have you had to restructure the debts? Are there any registered liens or judgment against you? Um, and then do you have any consumer statements that you've put on there? So sometimes people put on a statement to explain circumstances. They're disputing a debt or explaining why there's a bad story on there, that it's not all what's, what's shown on the paper. And sometimes there's fraud alerts or identity verification alerts. So some people's credit report will be just a couple of pages. Some will run to 15, 20 pages or more. And for each account that you have, it's essentially just going to be a record of how dependable, how reliable reliable, essentially how profitable you've been as a consumer for each of those reports. And each individual account that you have, it's going to be scored. Uh, the most common score is going to start with an R and that's for revolving credit like a credit card. And R1 means that you've never missed a payment. You're great. Um, R9 means that you've skipped the country or you filed a bankruptcy. Um, you know, they're not able to get their money back. So the closer you are to R1, that just means you're on the right side of the creditors from, from their perspective. Okay. And um, there's going to be personal information that folks are going to see and that's not something you should worry about, right? Well, you want to make sure that it's accurate. So there'll be things like your name, okay. date of birth, your addresses, social insurance number, driver's license, and things like that. So you definitely want to eyeball that each time you get the report just to make sure that your information hasn't been merged with someone else. Um, again, I, I've told it in the past, sometimes I pull my credit report and I'm amazed to find addresses I've never lived at. And there's not that many Blair Mantons in this world, but I think there's sometimes maybe a Martin <laughs> or there's some typo that, that happens. So, you know, I've definitely seen it and I've certainly seen it with clients where there are inaccuracies on their credit report. Uh, if you do find errors, it's an obligation of the Bureau to correct those errors, but you have to go through a process. There's an investigation process. You have to provide a little bit of documentation, and then eventually anything that's not correct will definitely get corrected on that report. Excellent. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, the smallest of spelling mistakes could affect something if somebody's then going back to look at your report if you're wanting to get credit or money or, or whatever. That makes that's really good sense. Um, anything else that's super important for consumers to know about their credit report and score, Blair? Yeah, I think one of the most common things I get asked is, okay, I, I'm missing payments or something's went a little bit bad. You know, when is that going to clear off my credit? You know, mm -hmm. when is the negative information going to go? And one thing to, to be aware of is negative information does expire. It's not going to be there forever. If you missed a payment today, 20 years from now, they're not going to have that on your report, but it is going to be there for what can be an extended period of time. So any late payments or NSF payments will both show for up to six years from the date reported. And this is even the case if you paid the past due balance, paid all the penalties the next month, it was just an oversight, that is going to be noted there for six years. If there's any collection accounts or any judgments from court actions, um, they're going to show for six years as well. Uh, this one surprises people a little bit, um, but bankruptcy is another thing that even if you had to file bankruptcy to deal with all the debts, discharge them fully, that's also released six years after the bankruptcy is concluded. So it's not there for the rest of your life. It's not 10 or 20 years. It is just six years. And if you restructured your debts through either a consumer proposal um, or even seeing a credit counselor, you know, that might be off your record as soon as a year or two after you finish those payments. So anytime where you're worried, you know, I've got something bad on my credit, you know, does this mean I'm financially untouchable for the rest of my life? The answer is a resounding no. You can recover from any negative stories that might be on your credit 
credit. Um, and what's wonderful for me to see is just the transformation. Once we deal with the debt, if people really focus on having good credit behaviors, they can rebuild a very solid credit rating as little as two years after even a personal bankruptcy. And you know, the key hallmarks of things that you're going to do to rebuild your credit really solidly, uh, just it makes good financial sense. You're going to make your payments in full and on time. If you can't pay the full balance off, you're going to always make the minimum payments required. You contact your creditor right away if there's any hiccups, because sometimes they'll agree not to report something if you've been in touch. And then what's also an important metric that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, but is the idea of credit utilization. So you want to keep yourself to a maximum of 50% of your credit limit every time that a statement is put out. So if you've got a $2,000 limit on a card, I'd recommend you don't ever charge more than $1,000 to it. That's even better if you can keep it to under a third, because as soon as creditors start to see, well, you're bumping up to 70, 80% of your credit limit, even if it's paid off that same month, that can be a warning sign that can definitely uh, cause your credit report and your credit rating uh, to suffer a little bit. That's so interesting because credit card companies are often wanting you to increase or giving you the opportunity to increase the amount of credit you can have with them. Yeah, and obviously they want you to to incur it. And, you know, sometimes it can make sense that, okay, you ask for the increase in limit and then you just never spend that much money. And it actually helps you because now your credit utilization is lower than it would have otherwise been. Um, I think, you know, one final thought to leave our listeners with is there really are no quick fixes. So if you ever mm -hmm. hear of something like instant credit repair or overnight, you know, we'll take you from zero to hero, that is impossible. It just doesn't exist. Anything that you do, it took time to get to that situation. It's going to take probably less time to get you out of it. It, but it's not going to be instant and it is a case of buyer beware. Excellent. And you know, the, the thing is about Sands and Associates and, and just the, I'm leaving you with this idea on this segment is that you can move on virtually after any misstep. And it's about the help you get and the support you get and the connection you get with folks who actually know what they're doing. And that's what I'm saying that Sands and Associates offers you, not just Blair, but the, all the teams of people at the offices all over British Columbia. Um, I want to suggest too, if you want to give them a call at the number is one 800 661 to get that first free consultation and sit down with somebody or Zoom with somebody, virtually sit down with them. Uh, and the website is sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. I'm going to talk about building credit history after a consumer proposal or you filed for personal bankruptcy. We're going to learn about establishing a positive credit history and score after that financial fresh start that we've learned so much about, as well as reset uh, after a consumer proposal or bankruptcy. So if you're considering debt management options, but worried about long-term or even permanent damage to your credit history, Blair Manton's going to tell us all about it and explain the impact of common debt resolution options and the steps that we can take to build a credit history. So Blair, before we dig into the tips on how folks can build up their credit score after debt, can you give us a bit of information on how credit history and a credit score work if we don't know already? Well, certainly, Elaine. And it, this is something that just about everyone that I speak to when they're talking about their debt, they're always concerned. Well, what's the impact of my, on my credit score, on my credit history? And we've been really conditioned to look at this as a great indicator of our financial health and quite often financial health. And quite often, it's not indicating that you're financially healthy. It's just indicating that you're quite a profitable consumer for the bank. So what we need to understand with credit scores and credit history is that they were originally designed not as something that would be consumer facing, not as 
as a number that you're going to chase or even know about. They were designed by the bank so that they can segment their customers and know which customers are essentially paying the highest interest charges, paying their debts back you know, on a reliable basis or not, and then the bank can make better decisions. But what's interesting is sometimes the things that are best for you personally, best for your cash flow and your budget, are actually bad for your credit score. And sometimes what's great for your bank and your credit score is not really that good for your personal finances. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we get further into the topic. But in terms of just some general information, so your credit score, it's a numerical value, and it typically ranges from a low of about 300 to a high of 900. So if you've heard people say, hey, my credit's 800, well, yeah, that's definitely pretty good. You generally don't hear people saying, hey, my credit's 350. If they know that, they're generally not talking too much about it. Uh, But what's interesting, too, is that actual credit score, you're never going to know exactly what it is because it's calculated at a point in time by each lender specifically using all of their different methods of putting a bunch of information together. So when you go online, you say, you know, get your free credit score or pay a little bit for a credit score, you're getting something that, you know, might be directionally accurate, but it could be off by, you know, a number of points, a significant number of points, if the lender that you're actually looking to borrow from uses the the math in a different way. Uh, What your banks and lenders do, along with the credit score, um, is they also look at a credit report. And a credit report is essentially a record of your credit history. So it includes your personal information, details about each debt, how long you've had the accounts, uh, what's the balance, and what's the payment history. And what folks, I think, are generally aware of, but, but your credit score and your credit history, they can change every single month because typically every month, that's when your lenders, like a credit card company or you know contracts that you have, like a cell phone, uh, they're reporting either positive payments or delinquent payments. Also, new accounts opened, old accounts canceled, or even if people have made inquiries, if you're shopping around with different lenders and they're checking your credit score, that's also noted on your credit report. So to find out your credit score, again, I've said it, it's, you can just basically get a directional indication. Um, you can do that with either of the two large credit bureaus of Equifax or TransUnion. That's also where you can get your credit report, which you know can often run at least a few pages, sometimes 10, even 20 pages. And that's going to be you know the long-term record um, of your history of use of credit. So, and I want to throw in here the idea that if you've already been listening to Blair and, and us talk about credit history and credit score and you've still got debt and you don't know what to do and you already know that you need to do something, the very best thing you can do is get a hold of Sands and Associates and talk to them about your situation and see if there isn't something that you can do proactively or if you need to step back and take action, whatever avenue it is, give them a call if you're you're unsure about next steps. Uh, it's easy. The number is 1-800-661-3030 or check their website at sands-trustee.com. So consumer proposals, personal bankruptcy, Blair, something we always talk about. What's the? Can you explain what the impact of something like a proposal, consumer proposal or bankruptcy does to a credit history and the person's ability to borrow? I guess we're talking about after debt. Uh, what, what kind of impact that has? Well, I think that's a huge insight that I'd like people to, to hopefully take away is that nothing is permanent when it comes to your credit score. So everything does transition, you know, even a, a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, they're not going to be there for the rest of your life. So when I see sometimes financial experts in the media say, you know, bankruptcy is lifelong consequences, well, it, bankruptcy disappears off your credit six years after you finished it. So most people, they finish a bankruptcy in nine months. 
six years after that, it's like it never happened. It's not showing up on any credit bureaus. Um, and most of the time, people can rebuild their credit much sooner than the time it takes for a bankruptcy to drop off of, of a credit report. Quite often, people can get get new mortgages established, have credit cards, um, you know, finance vehicles in as little as two to three years after they've restructured their debts. So when you sit down with someone, you say, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, we'll be paying this debt off for 30 years. Your credit might look great. Um, if we file either a bankruptcy or a proposal, a deal with the debt much more quickly, and then you focus on rebuilding your credit, it's often just two to three years of credit rebuilding is all that it's going to take to get you back to probably a better credit score or credit rating than you had before. So as I mentioned, a a personal bankruptcy, it's going to drop off your credit report six years after it's finished. A consumer proposal, which we talk about a ton and just very quickly, that's where you consolidate all of your debt together. You freeze all the interest charges and you pay back what you can afford to repay. It's usually a lot less than the full amount. It's often, you know, 20 to 30 cents on the dollar. Um, That type of a proposal drops off the earlier of six years from the day that you sign it or three years from when it's paid off. So a lot of proposals are over a five-year term. So by the time you finish paying your proposal, literally 12 months after that, it's gone off your bureau like it never happened. Um, And you can, again, start rebuilding your credit at any point during those proceedings. You don't need to wait until either a bankruptcy or a proposal has disappeared from your credit report. Can we talk a little bit about, and and this is really something that we've got sort of scheduled for the end, closer to the end of this segment, but how can somebody, uh, just a regular consumer, get to the point of understanding what the best debt approach is for their situation? Because there are more than just a consumer proposal or bankruptcy. There's all kinds of different things that you can do, one can do. Uh, of course, we talk about the consumer proposal and bankruptcy as, as two of one of the, well, the, the better of all the options for so many reasons. But is there ways for somebody to really understand the best debt approach to take? Yeah, you know, the best way, Elaine, is just to reach out for help even well before you think your situation is dire. So we have just a ton of meetings these days with folks who just need a little bit of coaching, a little few questions answered to understand, you know, what they're facing and what their options are. So when you reach out to somebody like Sands and Associates, we're going to help you assess your current situation, understand your goals, and then address your questions and concerns. And it's often the case that people have, you know, fragments of information that have kind of held in their in their mind, and they're not always correct. Uh, and sometimes they're basing, um, you know, some of their bigger financial decisions in life, things like not dealing with their debt because they're worried they'll never be able to get a mortgage if they ever file a bankruptcy. And as soon as we can dispel some of those myths, you know, people tend to, to feel a whole lot better. So anytime you sit down with Sands and Associates, it's a free confidential meeting. We'll talk through all of the options. And if you do decide to restructure your debts, we take you through some very detailed financial counseling. Well, we've got YouTube videos that talk about how to rebuild your credit. We've got a whole five-step plan to get you there. But what I want people to take away is that essentially nothing is a life sentence when it comes to a credit rating. And preserving a high credit rating at the expense of not paying off your debt is never a good financial strategy to follow. It's much better um, oftentimes to take the hit in the short term, restructure the debts, and you can rebuild far quickly than probably you thought possible. And uh, something that Sands and Associates offers, it's not just the data and the information and the forms and the documents, but also there's some very specific counseling that accompanies uh, this process. 
Yeah, there, there's two, two counseling sessions that folks have to sit down with us for, and generally I say have to, but it's a huge benefit. People get a lot of value out of it. And during the second one, we talk about exactly how you're going to rebuild your credit, so everything from making sure your proceeding is finished up to date, making sure the report is accurate. We talked about getting new credit, as weird as that sounds. We don't want to encourage people to go further into debt, but if you want to rebuild your credit bureau, you do have some good steps to follow to get new credit. We take you through all of that when you sit down with us. If you're wanting more information, very easy to do. Give Sands & Associates a phone call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that first appointment and sit down and talk about your situation. Or you can also check out their website, sands-trustee.com. Lots of good information there, and you can still make an appointment through there. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This segment, it's a... Um... I don't know. I know somebody who went through bankruptcy, so I, I know it's a bit of a challenge for sure. And um, it's always interesting to be on the other side of it and to watch people be on the other side of it. So that's what we're going to talk about. What happens after doing a personal bankruptcy? Uh, that fresh start, that financial fresh start that Blair talks about all the time, and certainly something that a personal bankruptcy can bring about. Uh, starting anew. So, Blair, can you talk about how personal bankruptcy works to provide that fresh start for folks from unmanageable debt and what to expect after it's over? Well, certainly, Elaine. And obviously, the decision to file for bankruptcy, it's an emotionally fraught decision. You know, you're not in my office because you're having the best day of your life. Um, you know, a lot of the times people would choose anywhere else they could they could possibly be rather than sitting with a licensed insolvency trustee. And a lot of people come, you know, with a lot of stress and anxiety, just coming to the decision to reach out for debt help. And they have certain conceptions of what they think a bankruptcy or a legal solution will mean. And quite often, they think this is a permanent sentence. They think this is, you know, for the rest of their life, this is decision is going to follow them around, you know, with the scarlet letter type of thing. And what I want people to understand is that bankruptcy is not a permanent remedy. It's a permanent remedy in terms of the debt gets gets left behind, but it's not a permanent detrimental mark against you. It's something you can recover from. And it's a debt remedy that's available to any Canadian or any person in Canada who finds themselves in a situation where they're just not able to pay their debt. The wording in the law is bankruptcy is for the honest but unfortunate individual that needs their help to restructure um, under the supervision of a licensed insolvency trustee. So when you file for bankruptcy, you get legal protection from your creditors. And by completing a bankruptcy, you get debt forgiveness that leaves all of that debt behind and you get to move forward unburdened by that debt. Um, the advantage to bankruptcy is it's often the quickest and the least expensive means of restructuring your debt compared to other options that exist. And it, bankruptcy can make a whole lot of sense in situations where if someone's income is relatively low or it's uncertain, so they can't commit to a consumer proposal repayment plan because they just don't have that ability to predict their income or have some space in their budget, or the debts might be so significant that even repaying as little as 15 or 20 cents on the dollar, that just might not be affordable. You know, Bankruptcy is never the first option, but it's once you've evaluated all of the options and see how they've applied to your unique situation, um, you know, bankruptcy is is still a remedy. It's a last resort, but it is a resort that will help you restructure. And it's not going to be the permanent mark against you that a lot of people fear. And I know that you've talked before about there are some beneficial outcomes to personal bankruptcy. And I think it's really important to talk about those too. And it will kind of quiet down the big fears and the big concerns because there are just a ton of benefits to it at the end of the day. 
yeah, you know, the, the number one, and this makes a whole lot of sense, you get full forgiveness for almost all types of debt. So including credit cards, overdrafts, bank loans, taxes, Canada Revenue Agency debts, serve overpayments, student loans, payday loans, you know, the list just goes on and on. The almost that can't be included are, you know, basic things like child support, spousal support, things that no one want to compromise anyway, but just about every standard consumer debt can be included and discharged or eliminated as part of a personal bankruptcy proceeding. Uh, another benefit to bankruptcy is it removes those unaffordable debt repayments from your monthly budget. So if there's a bunch of creditors that all want their minimum payments and will call and scream like crazy if they don't get it, when you file into bankruptcy, you do have to make a payment to the trustee, but typically it's far less than what you would have been required to pay to service all of the various debts that you're dealing with. And a little bit counterintuitive because some people think if you go into bankruptcy, your assets get seized, but the vast majority of people keep every single asset they have. Uh, but bankruptcy actually puts you in a better position to protect your assets because if you're in a bankruptcy, you can no longer be sued. Nobody can take legal action against you uh, and you get the protection of provincial exemptions that protect everything from your pension, your RRSPs, your furniture, your vehicle, even your home equity. So very counterintuitive, but sometimes the best way to protect some assets is actually to go through a, a bankruptcy proceeding to put all the creditors at bay, and you can still emerge, depending on the asset, uh, with that asset still in your possession. And getting rid of that stress must be just an absolute gift. That's the life-changing part of it. So obviously the financial is one thing, but what's so incredibly gratifying to me and I know to my colleagues as well, is just seeing the transformation from the first meeting, whether it's on video or in person these days, you know, you can just read the body language and any human seeing another human in pain, you could recognize those signs. And then we see them for a first counseling session a couple months in, or, you know, we have a periodic phone call to check in. Then when they're ready for discharge, it's my gosh, some people, it seems like they've, they've grown three or four inches in their height and their smile is that much wider their energy is just palpable to see you know the amount of people who have said you know we really thank you for giving us our life back and you know it, it's not us obviously they had to do the work we're just the you know the people that facilitate that but it's just a matter of giving people the information so they know this is an option and you know the outcome is just absolutely transformative uh, the phone number for sends and associates they have offices all over british columbia is 1-800-661 3030 and the website is sands-trustee.com. So can we talk about how the actual process usually works for folks, how a bankruptcy process works for folks, Blair? Yeah, sure. And relatively quickly. So for most people, bankruptcy, it's a nine month process. So from the time you sign the documents to when all that debt is left behind and you're moving forward, that can be as little as nine months. The major steps that you're going to complete is you're going to have an initial consultation uh, with a licensed insolvency trustee. They're going to work with you to gather all of your financial information and prepare the official bankruptcy documents for you to sign. Um, all that can happen in the matter of a few days, or it can be as long as the person needs to get their information and feel comfortable about the decision. As soon as those documents are signed, they're filed with the government immediately. And from that moment, you have protection from your creditors and the nine month term of bankruptcy is then underway. Uh, during those nine months, instead of paying your debts, you have some duties to the trustee instead. So three major things that you have to do, and none of them are hugely difficult, but there are a little bit of work on a monthly basis. Uh, so the first one is you have to attend two private financial counseling sessions. So they're one-on-one -on -one sessions, typically done either on video or in our office 
courses talking about your financial goals, um, your plans for the future, how to budget, how to save money, really giving you some good grounding on how you can rebuild your credit after all of this. You have to attend both of those to finish the bankruptcy and people are only too happy to attend counseling and really get some good insights. So that's a really good part of the process. Uh, probably the most um, detailed work that you have to do is you have to keep a monthly budget for every month that you're in bankruptcy. So there's a one page form for the nine months of bankruptcy for every month. You're going to start at the top, talk about your income, and then you're going to write down where you spent your money each month with the whole idea that you're living within your means. You're no longer able to rely on credit. So it's a good practice to keep the household budget and track your spending. Uh, the last of the three things um, is you just have to make some payments to the trustee. So if someone is low income, which is most of the situations we deal with these days, uh, the bankruptcy runs for nine months and their payments are usually in the range of two to $300 per month. Uh, and the ma the final things with the bankruptcy, you generally do just without even thinking about it. You know, we'll ask you for your tax information. You know, you send that through to us so we can file the taxes for the year of the bankruptcy. But otherwise, it's relatively straightforward. You do the counseling, you do the budgets, you make sure money's in the account each month for the bankruptcy fee. And at the end of nine months, you could be achieving a fresh financial start. Now, and I, we've just got about a minute left in this segment. Um, what, what about the, uh, the impact that bankruptcy has on credit, ha credit history? Yeah, so bankruptcy is not permanently on your credit report, but it is on there for six years after you finish the bankruptcy. So it doesn't mean you're untouchable for those six years, but it does mean you're going to want to do some work to rebuild. We talked to you in the counseling sessions exactly how to rebuild your credit the right way. And a reasonable calendar is as little as two to three years. If you've rebuilt your credit the right way, you could be qualifying for a mortgage at the same rates as anybody who had never went bankrupt before. Car loans are often even sooner than that. Even an unsecured credit card, I have people offer that very shortly after a bankruptcy is complete. So you will recover. It's going to fall off the bureau completely after six years, but really two to three years is a more reasonable calendar to when you can have even superior credit history, or credit report than when you started. And if you want to learn more about your options to deal with debt and get that debt-free plan that's right for you, sands-trustee.com is the website. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.